African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, uh, thank you for joining us right here on the Channel Africa. It's that time once again, 11 o'clock Central African time. Uh, you are listening to African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama. Uh, thank you for joining us on our various platforms here on Channel Africa. Remember, on the shortwave, we're on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa. And on DSTV, we're on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. And if you're listening to us online, we're on www.channelafrica.co.za Well, today we'll be looking at uh, the uh, World Economic Forum, which is uh, taking place in Davos, Switzerland. And we're going to be looking at uh, really uh, the various positions that South Africa is approaching uh, there as uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, the president of the country, is there with a huge delegation. And are they there to really discuss uh, investments into uh, the continent and in South Africa? And we know that this year's theme is uh, Globalization 4.0, Shaping a Global Architecture in the Age of the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Does South Africa have anything to offer the rest of the world when it comes to uh, business and also potential when it comes to its economy? We know that it's been actually being a weary economy in the last year or so. So we'll be speaking to our guests looking at this particular issue. But, well, let's quickly move on right now and get our news and Musa is standing by. In the headlines, the Central African Republic's war crimes suspect is sent to the ICC. South African prosecutors provisionally withdraw corruption charges against Duduzane Zuma and 13 miners have died in Ghana after inhaling smoke from a blast they detonated. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musa. War crime suspect Patrice Eduard Ngaisano, who is also head of the Central African Republic Soccer Federation, has been sent to the International Criminal Court, where he faces allegations of leading a mainly Christian militia that targeted Muslims in deadly interreligious fighting. Prosecutors say Ngaisano was the most senior leader of a militia known as Anti-Balaka in 2014 when it was accused of crimes including murder and rape of Muslims and fighting that broke out the previous year when predominantly Muslim Seleka rebels seized power in the Central African Republic's capital, Bangui. The violence left thousands dead and displaced hundreds of thousands more. 
South African prosecutors have provisionally withdrawn corruption charges against Duduzane Zuma, the son of former President Jacob Zuma. He was charged with corruption arising from the role he played in a failed attempt to bribe then-Deputy Finance Minister Mkibisi Jonas at the Gupta family Saxonwell Johannesburg home in October 2015. In a leaked letter to Zuma's defense team, the National Prosecuting Authority says the reason for the provisional withdrawal is due to Jonah's evidence on the matter that's still before the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture. U.S. President Donald Trump says he will not deliver his annual State of the Union speech until after the government shutdown is over. This after House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi, a Democrat, withdrew an invitation for Trump to address Congress, saying government services should fully reopen first. Trump initially said that the speech should be on a time, on schedule and on location. But in a tweet, he conceded he could not deliver on his pledge. Around 800,000 federal workers have been left without pay amid the shutdown, which has now hit its fifth week. Pelosi was earlier speaking to reporters in Washington. He said very clearly from the start, uh, when I wrote to him the second time to say, since government is shut down, let's work together on a mutually agreeable date. And we can welcome you to the Capitol to get rid of the State of the Union address. Uh, government is still shut down. I still make the offer. Thirteen miners have died in Ghana after inhaling smoke from a blast they detonated. The regional official Pulina Abiyaje says the miners were working at the Chinese-owned Shinshi Mining Ghana Limited at Banen Upper East Region. The Minerals Commission has directed the company to suspend all mining operations at the site. The mine has been plagued with accidents over the years. In October, an underground cleaner died after being struck by a machine. In April 2017, seven illegal miners were trapped by smoke and died. And finally, legendary jazz musician Oliver Mutukutsi has been described as a music giant who has made an impression in the industry. This is tributes continue to pour in from different parts of the African continent. Mutukutsi died on Wednesday at the age of 66 in a hospital in Harare. Tuku, as he was affectionately known, is one of the most prolific musicians to come out of Southern Africa. With over 60 albums to his name, Mutukutsi has worked with several South African artists, including Yuma Sikela and Ringo Madlingozi. These musicians from Lesotho and his home country have worked with him and expressed their sadness. I have no words. Just as we were, we've had performances together, both at home and in Europe, and suddenly this, it's difficult to accept. Ah, it's too much. We've lost a father. When I say a father, I mean like literally a father. I remember last Father's Day, he called us to Pagaripai, and Tabit uh, Zazwari say we were watching Neria, and then we were talking about the old times, and then he bought us lunch. He, he made uh, the team aggressive to cook lunch for us. He would treat artists like like sun. It's very sad and it's very hard to accept uh, that uh, Dr. Oliver Mtugudzin is always no more. 
Recapping the top stories, the Central African Republic's war crimes suspect is sent to the ICC. South African prosecutors provisionally withdraw corruption charges against Duduzane Zuma and 13 miners have died in Ghana after inhaling smoke from a blast they detonated. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, It's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and and, (laughs) and do my part and do it really, really well. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us in our Auckland Park studios. Uh, here at SABC, you are listening to Channel Africa. Remember, on shortwave, we're on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa. And if you're listening to us on DSTV, uh, don't forget to join us in South Africa and some select neighboring countries around South Africa. We're on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Well, everyone seems to be talking talking about the World Economic Forum, and that's what we're going to be doing today, but positioning it from a South African viewpoint, what does South Africa have to actually offer this time around at this particular uh, gathering? I don't know, I get tired of these particular gatherings, I think they're kind of monotonous and uh, keep happening on and on and on and on, and uh, so will we see a difference? Do they actually uh, contribute to uh, the outcomes of of uh, individual country uh, countries and uh, it's a big day uh, for South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa as well and his team at uh, Switzerland as he's expected to address an investment seminar. Ramaphosa was optimistic yesterday saying although the country has suffered from corruption, state capture and slow economic growth for the past decade they were all things of the past. Uh, the president also said the message that the countries bring to the World Economic Forum is that South Africa is on a path of revival and a path of growth. But will this be enough to convince potential investors? Joining me in studio, back again, our friend Ian Krushanks, the chief economist at the South African Institute of Race Relations. We also have uh, SABC journalist on the line, Tepo Mungai, who is a senior economics reporter here at the SABC. And Soli Mweng is a Brand Reputation Management Advisor and CEO of Strategic Corporations Communications Consultancy. Well, I'm going to start with you, Tepo, in terms of looking at the atmosphere. We know that Theresa May uh, could not actually make it this time around. I'm sure the Brexit issues have withheld her. Uh, The government shutdown has also uh, kept uh, uh, Donald Trump away. So two of these very significant economies are not participating at this year's World Economic Forum. Is it business as usual, Tepo? Good morning, uh, Benjamin. It it is uh, business as usual. uh, Countries always come here 
it's it's a very important um, day on the calendar for business executives mainly because of the easy access that they have uh, in terms of whoever they want to meet, especially in the corporate world, but also in in, in government, uh, lots and lots of government officials actually attend this particular event. Uh, this despite the fact that obviously some heads of states, um, it, it, it often happened that uh, it's not... Um, the number of heads of states is not that very high, although you do find that there are certain key heads of states who usually come here to to attend. You may have about, you know, a few from the African countries uh, and others from the rest of the world, but uh, it is more of a business as usual. The issues are there. The issue of the fourth industrial revolution is actually dominating discussions here around the protection of personal information and uh, investment in the fourth industrial revolution, the issue of uh, skill or reskilling mm. uh, workers who have been misplaced by the this fourth industrial revolution, who's supposed to pay for it? Is it government? Is it the private sector? There are a lot of issues uh, around gender and trade, of course. It's a very important issue that has been discussed. Mm. Uh, people are saying that, you see, in the past you had America as a kind of a role model when it comes to international trade. Now you're seeing a reversal of what they have been spearheading, what they've been leading throughout the years. Uh, so there is a, a, a change in, 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 in approach from the U.S., and that is affecting global trade. Mm. Uh, so there's issue of youth involvement, mm. youth participation as mm. well. Well, Tepo, you know, in terms of uh, South Africa's positioning in this year's uh, gathering, um, I heard Desa Ramaphosa speaking about uh, an increased uh, percentage of uh, investment in South Africa since his uh, turn as uh, president of the country after the exit of uh, former president Jacob Zuma. Was he a bit too ambitious and over-emphasizing certain st- statistics, or do you think South Africa has a good stance this year around? Well, the, 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 he's indicated that the that a billion-dollar investment is well underway, and they've already attracted a significant amount uh, of investment in order to eventually uh, achieve that uh, that uh, amount of investment that they are looking at, and he, he is quite uh, mm. uh, optimistic that they will make strides uh, in terms of the investment that has been uh, committed uh, by various companies. Although you do find that the majority of those companies are actually South African companies that are looking to expand in various areas. Mm. So uh, not much in terms of new international players uh, that are completely new entering South Africa. Uh, South Africa, although we remember in that in conference, there were one or two international players mm. that were first entering South Africa, but not mm. quite mm. significant. Um, so that's what South Africa is looking at mm. in terms of bringing in new investment. But quite interestingly, Richard Benjamin, is that I attended one session. It was about um, you know the, this obsession that countries and economists have with uh, gross domestic products, so-called mm. GDP. Mm. 
uh, and one chief uh, minister from uh, India said mm. that um, although India is expected to grow by around 7.5%, which is a, a very good number, mm. especially for the emerging economies, they are not not seeing the, the improvement mm. of, uh, of people's lives on the ground. People mm. are struggling. And as a result, they've taken a very bold decision uh, to waiver off about eight billion U.S. dollars that the the farming the farmers owe in the country, uh, in order to revive the farming sector, mm. the International Monetary Fund came in and said they don't think it's quite a a good decision, given that the farming sector is in distress in India. But government defended the move and mm. said that they will do it. They are quite optimistic that by writing off or government taking over that that debt and negotiating with the financial institutions and banks and settle that amount at once, get a haircut uh, with uh, banks and try to see mm. if they can give them a discount, they will be able to revive the farming sector, which is quite key in mm. India. Okay. Uh, I think that was quite interesting. Very interesting. We'll come back to those viewpoints. Ian, um, these um, forums sometimes become a, a big talking point and sometimes we can actually refer them them to talk shops but from your perspective do you think this time around when Sir Ramaphosa returns to the World Economic Forum he has a better package to offer the international community better means one assumes it was good to start with mm. it wasn't uh, that's why I would like to take issue with Seppo and say I don't believe it is business as usual mm. I believe the whole environment we've already seen the, uh, the World Bank marked down uh, their estimate of, of global growth. Uh, and, and I think what we've got to see is in the corporate world, uh, we've got to move from globalization, pulling into global corporates, uh, into fragmentation, breaking up of these huge units, which, which from a profitable point of view were very effective. We've been moving, just look at US, towards isolationism. That is nothing positive for world trade. It is expected to decline. It could decline a bit more. What's it mean to us in South Africa? And this is what the rest of the investment world are going to say. They're going to say if the world, the the, the rate of economic activity is declining, there will be less demand for what we do best of all. Dig stuff out the ground and sell it as is in a non-beneficiated way. There will be less demand for those basic minerals which we are very good at producing and still have many reserves of. Mm. Um, and, and I think that that will just say that what, let's uh, come back to the challenge that Mr. Ramaphosa is, is facing, um, he's, he's going to find it very difficult to raise funds and that's already been shown by the investment, the world investment community's move. If you look at the JSC, the Johannesburg Stock Exchange last year. They, they were net sellers of about 120 billion rands worth of investments in South Africa. Mm. That, that bears no relation to a capital inflow which we so def- desperately want. We want foreign direct investment, foreigners to help us coming in with their capital to build factories, uh, to build businesses, to, to broaden sales, uh, sales outlets, to provide new jobs. We're going the wrong way about that, and I don't. We're going the wrong way from that, and I don't see that that changing. And I don't not sure that Mr. Ramaphosa is going to have too much of an impact. I think what we've got to say is it'll be very difficult simply to maintain the cap foreign capital that we have already. Raising new amounts is uh, not insurmountable, but very difficult. Which is why I take issue in at saying is it better a better environment 
no, it's not a good environment. It's a very unfriendly one. Sorry, let me come to you in terms of what both Tsepo and Ian are uh, contesting with ideas here on the program because listening to both of them, there are internal economic pressures in the country versus the very uh, pressurized socio-political and economic um, uh, you know, suppressed environments that we're seeing right now that are actually creating more of a divisiveness within economic cooperation. Yeah, good good morning, engineer gentlemen and to your listeners. Um, look, Mr. Ramaphosa is also trying to achieve a lot of things during ahead of a major election, which might prove to be watershed. He has to speak to the global uh, investor community. He has to speak to South Africans. But he also needs to get the, the business world in South Africa to show a lot more enthusiasm. I've seen a report recently that says, you know, South African, the, the South African business community has not reached sufficient levels of happiness, of, of confidence that they can put more money into the, into the economy. And, and those people that Mr. Mopo is trying to attract overseas and Davos and elsewhere, they will also take cues from the local business economy. Nobody, nobody's going to run rush funds uh, into into the South African economy if the, the local um, business community is not sufficiently confident that the policies policies in place will will shoot their investments and that environment is such that they will uh, achieve the kind of returns that they're looking for. So there are issues of confidence. Uh, there's got to be a consistency between what the president and his team Salavica says to the outside world and to what is going on in the ground. And right now, especially with all the corruption stuff that's coming out, it's a lot of mixed messages are being sent out. It's like beautiful PR messages that are, that are not corroborated by the effects on the ground. Staying with you, Soli, just to look at that particular point that you're making, especially addressing issues of uh, uh, corruption and state capture, which uh, uh, the president yesterday tried to reassure the business community that something is being done around those particular uh, issues that have been a concern for a very long time. I remember during the presidency of Jacob Zuma, the RAND was almost dependent on uh, the headlines of Jacob Jacob Zuma, he was almost the man determining uh, how much the price of bread was going to be uh, every week. Um, from your perspective, do you think that um, assertion made by the president could reignite confidence in our economy? Well, the president still has his own cabinet, people who are hugely, hugely implicated in a lot of the things that, that we've been reading about, that we know of, in, both in, in the state capital led by the Zuptas, but in, in the ones they want now. I mean, someone like Batabili Islami, someone like Mokunyani, in a normal democracy, these people wouldn't even wait for the president to ask them to step aside. They would simply step aside. So you can't go around and say, we be, we're doing something about corruption when some of the people in your cabinet are the most problematic, they've been benefited most from the, for the, from the corruption. So you, he's, he's really saying all these beautiful things, but he's not acting against his own people. And I, I, of course we understand that he's trying to keep a party united, or he's trying to give a semblance of unity in the ANC, which we know it doesn't exist. But, but the, yeah. the price is that, uh, you know, the, the thing to President Ramaphosa is that he has to wear two hats, right? He has to wear, wear his ANC hat, he has, he has to wear the South Africa hat. He's wearing the South Africa hat in, when he's in Davos, but he also has to be mindful of the ANC hand because he cannot 
adding eczema and all those other problematic people, especially the ones who remain in this cabinet. So the world is not made up of fools. Mm. They read the news, they read uh, diplomatic reports. All these diplomatic missions in South Africa send regular reports to their own countries. What is going on mm. in South Africa? Is South Africa getting out of the Donald Trumps? And, and these people are the, 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 the Fund managers, global fund managers, do not just listen to PRM's messages. They read stuff, they read reports, mm. they read research stuff, and, and 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 they will make a difference between what is being said to them and what more credible sources are saying to them. Tsepo, let me come back to you. I mean, you are at Davos. You are seeing the environment there and the atmosphere. I know that uh, the president of South Africa has a heavy weight on his shoulder. Uh, do you think that uh, he actually was um, heard yesterday in terms of his plea, in terms of what he's trying to do in terms of the issues around transparency when it comes to uh, state corruption and uh, what's happening in terms of uh, even uh, corruption within the public sector in the country? Well, um, you know, we've been talking about uh, policy certainty. Uh, investor community want uh, information that is consistent in order to take informed decisions about whether to invest or not to invest. And what is happening or what you're starting to see happening in South Africa is that consistency in terms of exactly what is, needs to be done and what is being done. Uh, issues around the mining charter, for example, uh, is, is being addressed. Uh, the whole lot of issue around policy certainty is being addressed. So um, whether it is good or bad, we can argue it. But investors need consistency and need to know exactly what is it that they are dealing with. If there is corruption, they need to know what is it that is being done to address it. Any other challenges, I think we're starting to see government being consistent in terms of what they are trying to do mm. and building from there. And I think that's very, very important for investors because that gives investor communities something to work with in order to decide uh, uh, or even to prepare for investment in South Africa because they would have a better understanding of the landscape and there won't be any surprises. And for the longest time, people said, well, the investors or the markets they don't want any surprises. There will never be an ideal uh, environment where we would say, now things are perfect. But there has mm. to be a move that is consistent in dealing with the challenges that we are facing. I mean, we've got countries that have a lot of challenges worse than us, but they still manage to attract some level of investment. Mm. Yes, mm. the global environment is different at this moment. Uh, there are a lot of challenges that companies and business are dealing with, but we will be able to attract some investment into the country. There are opportunities, lots of opportunities that South Africa has and can present to the international investors okay, and attract investment. Let me take that to you, Ian. Do, do you think that uh, abrasiveness that Cyril Ramaphosa is uh, approaching these issues of corruption and state capture with, as alluded to by Tsepo, is actually uh, turning the tide in terms of the business environment in the country? Yes, that's all important. There's no doubt about it. In fact, we at the RR have done a survey on this. And if we had an election now and it was based on the change that there has been, Cyril against the rest, 
he'd win it hands down. But he's, he's, that's not the way it works. He represents a party. And if it's the, 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 the ANC against the rest, it's a far less sure situation. Speaking to foreign investors, potential foreign investors, they, they take an old-fashioned yes. word, morality, as you said. And we're looked on still as uh, during Mr. Zuma's uh, presidency. I think we lost the tempo there. I'm sure he has to go off to an assignment or something. As, uh, uh, but you can carry on there. Yeah, yeah. And, and they said it, it was beginning to look like an immoral society. And the problem was it wasn't just the public sector. It was taken that there has to be a buyer and a seller in every, in every transaction. And it was taken that the private sector was moving in the same direction. He is, as far as we know, has not a, 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 a grain of mud against his name. If, if he can convince them that things are changing. It's not going to happen overnight. We're trying to change 10 years of irresponsible misrule. Immorality reigned supreme. 10 years you don't reverse in a few months. But if he can convince them, the, 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 the investment community in Davos, that we are sincere about change, that we do know that right must, must be right and that wrongs must be changed, then I think we have a chance of attracting that capital. But look, there have been lots of promises and lots of suggestions that we can have so, so many new investors and new investments coming in. I haven't seen one new factory go around industrial areas and everywhere you see is property for sale. So I'm afraid in practicalities it's not happening yet. The capital, where is the money? It hasn't flowed in yet. And you know the old expression in financial markets, follow the money. It's not there to be followed. But if we can simply stop the outflow and I think there is a chance that our new reputation, not that it's squeaky clean yet, but is, is, is a better, has less mud on it, then I think we have a chance of getting ahead in, in the, to, to achieve what, we, what we're looking for. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. It's almost uh, 11.30 Central African time. And I want to come uh, to both you, Soli and Ian, and, and look at what do we actually have to offer in terms of what industries, because that's where we need some form of diversification, a creation of industry, and also an emphasis of uh, this fourth industrial revolution issue, because I don't think we've set up uh, enough support systems, whether from government or within the private sector, to actually propel uh, this image that the world is talking about when uh, they refer to this fourth industrial revolution. Do we have the capacity to do this? I mean, countries such as Rwanda, Kenya, are going ahead of us uh, in the continent in terms of pioneering uh, these um, technological industries. We'll look at that after this break. Hello. To celebrate African women's achievements, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, listen to Humanity, Women in Unity, an advocacy radio program against all forms of gender-based discrimination and violence against women. Humanity, Women in Unity. On Channel Africa, every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Humanity, Women in Unity with Dr. Amalea Gonez-Malka. Every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday morning at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Channel Africa, celebrating African women's achievements. The voice of the African Renaissance. From an African perspective. 
Well, thank you for joining us right here in our studios. We have Ian Krushank, Chief Economist at the South African Institute of Race Relations. We're discussing the World Economic Forum underway. I already see his image here on our Channel Africa Facebook page. Remember, you can engage with us there. Today's topic is a bit slow, not as robust and political as our previous ones, but we're asking you the question, do you think gatherings such as the World Economic Forum have a science make a sizable difference for African citizens and economies. Give us your thoughts there on our Channel Africa page. I see uh, today's engagement is a bit slow, but we can uh, pick it up if you uh, start the conversation on that platform. Uh, well, earlier on, my colleague Ayanam Kwanazi spoke to the head of strategic communication uh, for the World Economic Forum, Oliver Kahn, and uh, uh, the World Economic Forum says it is pleased with the discussion so far taking place in, in Davos and that there is a renewed political will uh, that is clearly coming out that is also a contentious issue knowing where we are with geopolitics, the fact that uh, uh, the UK is not there the fact that we're not seeing um, the United States present there is also questionable but let's listen to what uh, Oliver Kahn had to say especially when he emphasized that issues of inequality and the geopolitics are high on the agenda now, you could argue that inequality is a result of the of previous rounds of globalization. We had a huge expansion of wealth in the 1990s and in the early 2000s as, as trade became much more globalized, as information technology really, really did take off. But it also led to a lot of inequality. The, you know, too few people got too much of the reward, and that is a big problem that we're seeing now in unstable societies in Europe, in North America, in Asia, in Africa. The third um, issue that I think which makes this period unique is what we call the fourth industrial revolution. It is the emergence of a vast range of new technologies, artificial intelligence, big data analytics. All these technologies are coming together at the same time and just radically changing and, and shaping our world in ways that we, we, you know, if we're not careful, it's going to be too late to change back. I'm talking, of course, about job disruption, but I'm also talking about the way that technology can influence our lives in, in, in other ways. What if artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence, for example, uh, is responsible for aspects of your life like the judicial system or for financial credit scoring, and we're not ready for it. And the fourth and last um, unique aspect of our period is that we are now looking at a, a world, we're living in a world that is very different in terms of geopolitics than, than, than previously. You know, we have multiple centers of power. We have a, um, a rising economic um, center of gravity in the east in China. We have India growing very, very fast, and we have Europe um, you know, in relative decline. How have countries uh, made presentations in terms of uh, lifting people from that poverty and closing that gap, that wealth gap that, that you're talking of there? Is there a political will to, to change the way things look at the moment? Um, there are plenty of things that can be done to improve income inequality at the, at the policy level. Simple, simple um, policy measures such as investing in human capital a lot more. So rather than redistributing um, yeah, income, which is of course one way of doing it, there are other better ways of doing it as well. We worry a lot of this organization about the, the threat of technology on jobs, but if, what if we were to treat reskilling as a, an investment rather than a burden that government has to pay for, then, then you would have more people earning better wages. That would actually filter through into government uh, coffers in the form of higher taxes. It would be very, very beneficial. What are the kind of conditions that we can put in place 
to help those, those workers, those people that are at risk, either from technology or they're at risk from, from new business models. Maybe they work in the gig economy. They don't have permanent full-time employment, that they need to be looked after. And we need to have the safety net that ensures that they can have an adequate standard of living and that they don't get left behind. And for those uh, countries whose economies are in recession or are not pulling up, um, do you think that they can use this platform in Davos to regain that economic strength or so to um, attract these potential investors? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, South Africa, of course, uh, the president has been very, very active this week in putting a, a you know, a very, um, a, you know, South African in general, the, the, the delegation has been very, very persuasive and, and very um, voluble in their promotion of the country and the, the progress that's been made there. We, again, need to see the fourth industrial revolution, this new period we're in as a, as a huge opportunity, an opportunity to do things right. We cannot grow in the way that we've been growing. We have planetary boundaries that we are rapidly exhausting. There are plenty of ways to, um, to, to restore economic growth. I think the big message here is it's not going to be business as usual. Well, that's the voice there of uh, World Economic Forum Strategic uh, Communications Head Oliver Kahn, who is speaking to my fellow producer Ayandam Kwanazi earlier on uh, today. And that uh, positions the conversation where I wanted to go as we're about to wrap it up in the next 10 minutes or so. So in terms of industries that we should be targeting for investment, what should we be doing, especially within this extra pressure of the fourth industrial revolution the fact that we are lagging behind there in pioneering those industries in levels such as uh, other African countries are uh, earlier on I made examples of Rwanda examples mm-hmm. uh, uh, such as uh, uh, Kenya mm-hmm. look this comes up quite a lot I mean the fourth industrial revolution is a topic it's all over the place you know and uh, Sometimes I get, I wonder if people understand what it really means. But in terms of South Africa, one of the key challenges for this country is the, the need to create skills for many people. If, if you're going to move away, say, from coal mining, for instance, all the skills that we need that we have been using in our economy in the past, say, 50, 100 years, are slowly becoming... Uh, skills of the past that is going to the future. So what kind of education system, what kind of access to the internet, what kind of broadband, what kind of access to, the, to, 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 uh, to Wi-Fi, for instance, do we create in open spaces so that more and more people can access? You can, we can't talk uh, fourth industrial revolution if people mm. don't have the tools and the access mm. mechanisms uh, to, 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 to integrate the, that fourth industrial revolution. So mm. government is going to have to go beyond saying, wow, we're ready, we want, because we're not ready. Anyway, we, they need to say specifically, this is the thing that we want to put in place, both at, at, in, within our education system, but also in enabling the broader society to access the internet, to make it cheaper for people to access the tools that they need to, to use information, to access information, to mine information and to use information. Are we ready to leap into that dimension of the fourth industrial revolution, Ian, or should we strengthen the current industries that we're seeing and trying to diversify from then on? Yes and yes. 
uh, two yeses to your, to your questions. I think what we have to say is, you know, going back to previous industrial revolutions, the early one, the move to steam as a motive force, you know, if, if one didn't do it, if countries didn't do it, they got left behind. Look how America got to leave the world industry by, by being at the forefront. And I think we have to do this. Here in South Africa, in the mining sector, we are very good at digging stuff out the ground and selling it as is to world markets with no beneficiation. Why did we never develop a, a jewelry market? Why do we never do, do these things? What we've got to look at now is critically examine agriculture, mining, and of course also industry. You know, South Africa is in any case the most industrialized country already in the African continent. Let's look for where we are leaders, not where we lag, where we are leaders and invest in those areas to get further ahead. It can be done and I believe that uh, there's very much, especially in South Africa, of this can-do attitude. We, we, we mine at four or five kilometers underground. We find new uses for some of the products that we develop. It, it can be done but it has to be a mindset change and that is what's required most of all. Yes, it will take capital but it's got to take determination mm. and that's the most important point. And in terms of technological industries, we're still very small right. in that particular space, um, which uh, makes sense because we, we've been a country that's relied on traditional historical industries, the ones that you've highlighted, mm. such as agriculture mm. and mining. How do we leapfrog into this industrial revolution in a responsible manner, Ian? You know, if you just look at where South Africans have become world leaders, just look at it in, in, in technology to develop electrically operated motor cars. We've got a world leader there. Yes, he's geographically moving somewhere else, but the ideas came from here. We do have these innovative people, and we've got to say, government has got to come along and say, we're not looking as a private sector as the enemy. We look at them at partners. What do you want? Why are we so slow in the time it takes to create a new business? Why aren't we saying, how do we cut out this time-wasting? Look at it from a more uh, methodical point of view, and I believe that is an attitudinal change that will help. Governments, South African governments must come and say, what do you, the private sector, the capitalists want, and then go and do it with them? Partnership is what counts, and I believe that is the way to get ahead and stay ahead. Hmm. Let, let's wrap it up with that issue of the fourth industrial revolution because I think that's where the future lies and I think uh, Ian has highlighted the fact that we can't just uh, uh, piggy bank on that one thing alone but uh, Soli as we wrap it up what happens with the fourth industrial revolution or the technological um, sector in South Africa? It's, it's very fragmented. Everyone is doing their own thing. Everyone is trying to develop different ideas. And maybe we need a Silicon Valley of some sort where it's centralized and we're having ideas whereby everyone is actually engaging with each other in a more um, integrated manner. What are your thoughts in terms of where we are with the industry? Yeah, I totally agree. Look, there's a lot of capacity in South Africa. There's a lot, there, there are many ideas, and we should. What government needs to do, I totally agree with Ian, is to encourage businesses to stay here. People with ideas, with innovative ideas, and the money to invest in those ideas to stay here in South Africa. In the Western Cape, they started to have their own silicon silicon venue, silicon venue, Valley of South Africa, 
of, of, of the Western Cape, you know, with, with Westcrow and the Provincial Department of Economic Development involved in it. I think it should be a national initiative. I think that government should create opportunities and incentives. And the incentives don't have to be necessarily in terms of money. But we need, government needs to, to play a part in creating a positive, enabling environment that says we need to hear. There's still uh, too much negativity in South Africa. I mean, I hear people say, you know what, we don't need to. You want to leave this country, you can leave this country. People don't realize that. But people who are able to leave, they go away with money, they go away with ideas, and ideas that are going to be used elsewhere in America and elsewhere. And then the next thing will be celebrating South Africans right. succeeding in America and elsewhere. So we sure. need to say to South Africans with ideas and money, stay here, work with us, and let's make let's create more opportunities for young, young youngsters in the townships and elsewhere to, to integrate this new technological world. Mm-hmm. Ian, let me give you the final say. We're not the same country that we were two years ago. There's definitely a new presidents that's been set right now with the various commissions with uh, the various inquiries and also the optimism that we're seeing from our current president Cyril Ramaphosa he's got a new language about him and what he's engaged with yes he's got that issue that he's tied uh, to his uh, a political party which does have that link uh, to this issue of uh, uh, officials who are a part of the state capture issue but this optimism how can it we use it to propel us further ahead i think that it is available uh, what we have to look at is is it actually happening at all here yes there's actually a very active venture capital market new ventures who are looking for capital and finding it uh, not always at the right price but finding it and you're getting new new, uh, new emphasis new push new new get up and go in the sector and it was just mentioned there's our little model of silicon valley in cape town it is there let's get government behind them and say government say what can we do for you don't wait to be pushed shouting and screaming against that 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 possibility of really rewarding development that we see in these sectors it can be done and i believe that mr ramaphosa has a key to that door Uh, we've got to persuade the rest of the world that we have moved on from self-enrichment to a broader uh, view of, of, of getting a country ahead Thank you so much, Ian. Thank you for coming to our studio. It's always a pleasure having you come through. That's Ian Cruishanks, who is a chief economist at the South African Institute of Race Relations. Thank you to Soli Mueng, who is a brand uh, reputation managing management advisor and CEO of a strategic corporate uh, communications consultancy. Well, it takes us uh, to 11.45 uh, Central African time, uh, where we look broadly at the South African context. Remember, you can still engage with us on our Facebook page at Channel Africa, uh, that's the uh, Facebook page name, or you can go to at Channel Africa 1, that is our Twitter handle. Let's just take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll get our uh, business news. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. (laughs) You know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1,000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa. 
the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. With your latest business news, good morning, I'm Tracy Bumgard. The first South African Black Tobacco Farmers Association has been launched in Pretoria. The association is constituted by 155 black emerging tobacco farmers from different parts of the country. It will see black farmers organizing themselves formally to advance their interests. The Black Tobacco Farmers Association says its mission is to protect South African tobacco farming and the 10,000 jobs it supports from illegal cigarettes. A recent independent study by global market research firm Ipsos shows that illicit cigarettes now make up 42% of the informal tobacco market. The South African Revenue Services is losing 52 million US dollars in revenue as the manufacturers of illicit cigarettes do not pay excise tax. The cost of reskilling millions of workers misplaced by the fourth industrial revolution has raised questions at the World Economic Forum taking place in Davos, Switzerland. There are concerns that the cost will largely fall on governments. Millions of workers could be misplaced by the advancements in new technology, resulting in either job losses or reskilling. Speakers at the forum have urged both governments and companies to come with a funding model to reskill workers. Vice-Chancellor for the University of Cape Town in South Africa, Mamoghe Tipakang. But government has to invest. The business sector has to invest. Because if we as universities cannot produce people who are adequately skilled for the fourth industrial revolution, then government and industry is going to suffer and our country and our economy is going to suffer. So we need investment. We need conversations between universities, government and industry so that we, get, we can pump funding into the universities. A new bridge spanning the River Gambia is set to revolutionize.